All right, we'll transition to the Q&A portion. Drew, can I hand this to you? Sorry. Um, I'll invite the elders and the elder candidates to join me up here. Of course, Pastor Ron isn't with us this evening. Uh, not only is he dealing with all that we prayed about before, but also there's a lot of family from out of town now in town. And, uh, and just you should know that we, um, we've just freed Ron up to be available to his family and to concentrate on this stuff that uh, they're dealing with right now. So um, it'll be that way until further notice, until uh, the Lord provides the space for him to get back in the saddle. <clears throat> All right, so in the time we have left, we'll go to 8 p.m. If you have to leave before then, we completely understand. Um, just see yourself out and have a good night whenever you need to. Uh, but we'll try to end promptly at 8 p.m., and in the time we have left, we'll, uh, we'll do half of that time uh, with questions that we've already received as you've written them in, and then the other half with questions from the floor, and Asher Griffin will lead us in both of those. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Good to see you all, especially in this capacity. Thanks for the questions that you've either written in, and, and thanks, for, thanks in advance for trying to stump these guys. Um, so my name's Asher. I'm on staff here, and I get to serve... Uh, under these men's leadership. So to my right is Sandy Beauchamp. Sandy is one of our elder candidates, so he, he would be serving as a lay elder, Lord willing. He works in the financial services industry. Next to him is Scott Minema. Scott is our minister of community groups and counseling. Um, he's also an elder candidate and would be serving as a staff elder. In the middle is Tim Hickman. Tim, you know, is a lay elder and works in sales, so he's been serving fully as an elder for a year now, but longer than that as a as a person and a pastor. As a person. So, um, next, next to him is Peter Arndt. Peter Arndt is one of our lay elders as well. He's been at the church for a long time. He also works in the, in the financial services industry. We're thankful for his service. Next to him, second to the end is Tim Bradley. Tim is our pastor elder of children and family ministries. Uh, you all know Tim. He's been here for a long, long time and has served on staff and as an elder for a long period of time. And then next to him is R. Kelly himself. Dr. Ryan Kelly, and my direct supervisor. So we'll jump into this. The first question will be to me, but that won't be all the questions. So it won't just be me talking to myself. Of course, first question was, uh, you know, we started the Desert Springs Institute classes on Sunday mornings. So the question was, are they only going to be offered on Sunday mornings? Or for those of you who serve during one of the Sunday morning services, you know, you, you either have to choose between serving or taken a class because you would want to prioritize the, the worship service. So the quick answer is yes. We're looking at different places to provide classes. Right now, honestly, I don't know which night of the week is the silver bullet or the perfect one. For some, it's Tuesday or Thursday or Monday. We'll, we'll do trial and error. We'll start somewhere tonight. Uh, we thought about even going earlier in Sunday morning. Uh, we might try that once and see how it goes. But yes, in the future, you don't have to choose, we hope, between serving and, and taking one of these courses. So, Lord willing, that will be our next step. Uh, second question is, Ryan, to you. One of the things that was written in about was how much people enjoy the, I'll call them long-form prayers or uh, kind of specifically focused pastoral prayers that you or others would do on a Sunday morning. So the person asks, could this become more regular or have you guys considered this to become a more regular practice? Yeah, it's a good question, and we probably should do them more regularly. Um, they are 
they're certainly done when we think there's a specific need for it. Um, and there are ways in which pastoral kinds of prayers get done apart from long form. So sometimes there's a prayer, one more song, and then the message. And that slot before that song before the message is a lengthy prayer. And you can kind of feel, oh, this is one of those. He had us be seated. Um, and then other times, things before the message can get prayed for, like, um, you know, obedience or trials or, you know, navigating uh, culture in this world and those kind of things. So be watching for it, those kind of things getting covered in slightly different formats. Um, but it's fair. We probably should be, we should do more. Yeah, yeah that's great. I don't think we can pray enough. Right. We yeah, we're not looking to, to cut. We're looking to add more prayer, not, not cut prayer. That's great. Thanks. And thanks for that question, whoever sent that in. Uh, kind of along those same lines, those Sunday morning things that happen, one of the big things that we encourage people to do is to serve one another in the Sunday morning service. So, so Tim, I'm gonna, Tim Hickman, I'm going to throw this at you. Let's say that someone's been coming here for a period of time and they want to serve, but maybe they don't know if they can serve because they're pursuing membership or they just haven't been told. So what are some ways that as someone is becoming a member, they could serve the body? Yeah, uh, some things come right to mind. Uh, some of the things even in the foyer, um, some greeting, I think front door ministries is might, might be what we call some of those things. Um, greeting, handing out bulletins, um, standing at the front door, shaking hands, um, serving in the, in, the, in the coffee hospitality area, I think, or some, uh, safety team even, I believe. Um, so those first things that come, come to mind, I think. Good. Yeah. What, about, what about everyone else? What if I say, you know, I've been coming here for a couple of years and I'm not plugged in on Sunday morning um, in terms of serving. Either who can I talk to or how can I jump in? Do I just grab a cookie at the cookie bar? What do I do to, to start serving on a Sunday morning? Yeah, right. I, I, think, uh, I think I would recommend maybe visiting with uh, anybody with a name tag on a Sunday morning. So there's usually uh, 25, 30 people running around with name tags on the little lanyards. Um, uh, if not there, then maybe uh, maybe one of those people serving in one of those ministries. So if you have some uh, have some questions or want to find out how to get involved with those ministries, ask somebody that's currently serving in one of them. That's great. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So keeping everything uh, kind of along those lines, we've talked about serving. We've talked about a class on Sunday morning. We've talked about prayer in the service. Now it seems like where the tension is is there's thankfully a lot of people here. And sometimes it feels a little clogged up and obviously people start looking out at the dirt lot and they're like, wow, what could happen? So Peter, um, maybe people have heard rumblings of stuff with the building because you serve not only as an elder, but you're also serving in, in some of the stewardship of, of the church's uh, gifts. Maybe you could speak to um, what's, what's happening with the building. I don't wanna ask you a leading question, but we have a building do you have any opinions on it? <laughs> yes, certainly. Um, uh, one of um, five opinions. And we have been exploring the possibility of things that might be done with both our building and our property. And when we discuss this subject, it's a big topic. So when we discuss it, we think of it in terms of uh, our mission. Uh, you know our mission statement, spreading God's glory uh, deeper and broader through worship, community, and mission. So when we look at these three legs of the stool, worship, community, and mission, 
And if we notice things in the building that are handicapping us a little bit in any of those three areas, we look at possibilities that uh, we could do things better. And one of the things that we've been concerned about for quite some time, uh, it's been a topic of discussion for years, uh, and that is um, the design of our worship center. Uh, the design of our center means that people come in through the back entrances, which means we have a problem of backfilling. That means as people enter, uh, the back fills up first, uh, the front seats are, uh, seats are hard to get to, so as members and visitors who come towards the end or even late after the service, they have great difficulty uh, finding easy seating, and we see a problem, especially with visitors, in being reluctant to wander down and find empty seats in the front. And so we have a very inefficient uh, filling of seats in the sanctuary. One of the ways that we've looked at uh, helping with that is to consider a remodeling where we bring people in from the sides uh, and then they fill the front and then come out to the back. Uh, that would be um, a relatively manageable project and do wonders for filling up our seating efficiently. It's not that we don't have any empty seats, it's just that even if we have two-thirds of the sanctuary full, uh, it appears full to those who are entering. So that's one of the possibilities that we're looking at. Uh, the other is the possibility of a courtyard remodel. We've got a big empty space, and it's oftentimes referred to as the donut. The building surrounds the courtyard. Uh, we have this empty hole in the middle. Uh, it's not used for a whole lot of things, and so it's not particularly efficient space. If um, we could close that in, uh, we could accomplish uh, several goals. Uh, we have staff members that are not uh, in offices that are conducive to their duties. We'd like to have more office space that would be uh, enabling staff members uh, to be able to do their jobs better. In addition to that, as um, ASHA leads us in expanding our class offerings, we would like to have more classroom space that's available. And then we're also blessed to have uh, Scott Minema, who is um, developing our church in the area of counseling and producing and training so many new counselors that it would be wonderful if we had some counseling space that might be available for people to uh, minister to others. That would be both an outreach outside our church as well as a ministry to those within our church. So these are the two topics that are under the most discussion. We also do look at the dirt lot from time to time to see what might be possible in developing that dirt lot, but that would be, I think, behind the other first two priorities that we just discussed today. Uh, but we're certainly thinking long range and there are possibilities uh, under discussion there too. That's good, that's really helpful. So I, I know that when it comes to a building and, and a church is thinking about a building, now people here know that elders are are talking about building stuff, what should we rightly hear and not hear? So to put you on the spot again, um, what should we hear that you are thinking about? What should, we, what should we not hear that you're thinking about? Um, takes a bit of thought to answer that well. Um, what we shouldn't assume is that um, we've made any final decisions and we shouldn't assume that um, we're going to do something unless we have uh, the ability to prudently financially manage the projects. Those things go hand in hand. Uh, so uh, a responsible way to fund these projects is uh, very much a part of our uh, conversation. Uh, so uh, one of the things that you should know is we will not move ahead unless we feel like we've got a good plan that we can recommend to you for that. And uh, the other thing that you um, can certainly hear is that we're open to input. Uh, we like feedback, uh, we like ideas, and we take them into consideration. That's good, thanks. 
Uh, so for, I want to single out the staff guys in this group, so Scott, Tim, and Ryan. Um, a, a question was written in, how do you guys engage evangelistically when you're truly in a bubble all week long? So you work around, hopefully, Christian people. Um, you might even interact with Christian people. So how do you guys evangelize in your day-to-day lives or week-to-week lives? So I'll just start with Scott and work the way towards the end. Yeah, it's a good question. So from a I get, I guess, I suppose I get to cheat a little bit because with the counseling ministry, oftentimes um, we're meeting with folks from outside of DSC and even maybe more specifically who are not believers. So uh, in many ways, it, it's, it's kind of it's simple because we have the opportunity to share with them Jesus Christ in the counseling room. And uh, so that would probably be, if I was going to Pareto, the re- that's that would be primarily where it takes place with yeah. with me. That's great, Tim. Yeah. So, so the obvious is that, that we do work here in the church, and so many of our hours in any given week, compared to yours, are here in this bubble. But but I would encourage us to think that a lot of the folks that we interact with, not other staff members, but a lot of the other folks that we interact with. Uh, may not be Christian. So counseling would be one of those opportunities or benevolence opportunities uh, that come in the church's front door. Uh, We wouldn't assume that all of the children here in our midst or even all of the adults are believers. So there are myriads of opportunities to proclaim and declare the gospel right here where we are. Outside of work hours and time in these walls, then our lives will look in many respects, like your own lives. We will have opportunities that are maybe one-off opportunities with somebody in the grocery store or somebody sitting next to you on a, uh, a flight. So we'll have those kinds of opportunities. We have kindred family uh, who we have opportunities with. We have neighbors. Uh, so, so there's a variety of ways in which there are opportunities for us to declare the gospel. And many of those would be similar to yours where it would be different is we might not have unbelievers in the office or the cubicle right next to us. I, I find it challenging. Um, I, I do um, at times slightly wish that I had an, an outside job where I could you know, just be rubbing shoulders with unbelievers all day. Um, I think Tim makes a great point that pastors are people too and you know, we, we, we go to the store and we go to the bank and we also have neighbors uh, as well. And I'd also add that probably the, the place that I get to evangelize the most is actually through the church. So, um, so I, I get to say in front of hundreds of people on Sunday, if you're not a Christian and you have questions, come see me afterwards and we'll get together. And so um, th- there are times where I'm um, meeting with one or two people weekly um, who aren't yet Christians. Um, it may or may not become Christians, but hey, I'm glad to start working through the gospel according to Mark with them. So I'm thankful for that. Um, but it, it isn't easy. I, you can pray for me to have more boldness than I do. Um, yeah, my wife is a much better evangelist than I am. Um, she's friends with everyone at the grocery store and <laughs> Trader Joe's. And yeah, and I'm, I would prefer to not talk to people. <laughs> Except for Sunday morning, yeah. Yeah, so so I'll just ask kind of with a raise of hands to you guys, 
Um, do you feel like you have, in both staff and non-staff, um, do you feel like you have um, that first initial awkwardness of when they say, what do you do? You know, even for you guys that work in a job outside of DSC, you, you have the opportunity to say, well, I'm a pastor. Do you feel like when you say that, that immediately throws up a flag in their eyes? Or do you think that like, well, then let's talk about it kind of thing. So on a show of hands, how many of you feel like if you say, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church, I'm an elder at a church, that that will increase your opportunity to evangelize to people? Generally, show, no. well, you need hands? Any, yeah, well, then get a new job, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, no it, it can be a challenge. People, uh, especially like on a plane, they ask what you do. You say a pastor. They think that you are going to do Jedi mind tricks on them yeah. and make them Christians. And so they go, oh, okay. And the book comes out and... They, yeah, they freak out. In. Movie, <laughs> movie, movie. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so, I, I think it. I think it depends, right? It really, really just depends on the people. For so, for some, they will enter right into that conversation, and for many, they won't. They'll want to exit that conversation as quickly yeah. as they can, for the fact of the Jedi mind tricks that we're able to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to now talk to Sandy and Peter. Peter, I'll start with you. A question was written in and just said, you know, we, we live in such a unique time in, in, our, in our short history of news coming in all the time. So how should Christians read, watch, engage, listen to just news in general? And then, then maybe you guys just in your regular lives, how should we even think about that? You know, should we never watch the news? Should we watch it 24-7? Um, how should we think about intaking what the world puts on us in all kinds of platforms. Yeah, such an interesting question. Um, as Christians, we're in the world, but uh, in a sense, we're not of the world, which means if you take in too much news, uh, it can be uh, detrimental. Uh, so taking in the, the secular news in small doses uh, would be, I think, a good idea. You can uh, pick up most of what you need to know uh, without spending multiple hours a day taking in the news. Uh, but I will also admit um, a certain addictive fascination with the news that does pull us in, um, and um, it has to be resisted. I definitely find myself um, forcing myself to turn it off and go somewhere else because it can engage us in a uh, not-so-positive uh, way. Um, <clears throat> scripture and um, God's Spirit informs us about social issues. Uh, the church does not need to be the champion of social issues from the pulpit um, in its teaching or in its directives to the church membership. We have the responsibility to engage in public life. Um, we are equipped to do that, and we have the freedom to do that. We also have the privilege and duty of doing that in a representative democracy. That's what we should do. We should not be looking to the church to tell us what to believe, what to do, and how to be active. Uh, so I believe it's an individual responsibility um, and one in which we're going to be assisted by preaching and teaching in the life of the church because it's biblical principles that helps us make wise decisions with regard to public life and politics. Sandy. Well, Peter nailed that. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, I got to be honest, I hate the news. Oh, too strong. I dislike the news. So I get one newspaper and I read very specific sections. Um, <coughs> In my mind, it's, it's consumption. So I already get enough of the world as it is. So I'm like, you know, I want to be saturated in the word. 
so that everything is viewed from what I understand of God's word. Um, and I find that, um, am I really better off by all that consumption of news? For me, I think not, and I bet for most people. But I'm not saying you put your head in the sand and don't pay attention. I think as believers, we need to do that. But there is a optimal level, and if it's too much and it's um, getting in the way of what's best, then I think you need to make some changes. Can I make a recommendation? Yeah. What book are you listening to on audio right now, Asher? <laughs> I forgot the name of it. Um, but it's by, uh, the current one I'm listening to is by Ben Sass, and it's called, I think it's called Them. 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 Um, and so the, the premise of it uh, is how we got to this point where we actually hate people we're around all the time, not because of them, but because we, we feel like we should hate whatever might be against us. Uh, so it's a historical look, and I mean, I'm only, I'm only an eighth through it, so I, so I don't know about them yet. But it's already, it's really helpful. Um, and he puts, in, he puts something out, he puts some Twitter rules out, because he spent half a year off Twitter, which sounds amazing. And uh, one, of those, one of those rules that are in his family now is looking at sports on Twitter is a lot better than politics. And, and I think that's a helpful, at least, starting point. And, and I can't help but think of the New Testament things. Think about these things. And it's that one of those things isn't constant news intake. As fun as it is. I like looking at the news and reading books and all that. I'm, so, yeah, I'm sorry. God bless you. Yeah. It seems to me like a, a book like that is sort of a key that can help us interpret, you know, so it's not about the news per yeah. se, right. but it's something of a pair of glasses that can help us read the news and try to understand some politics. Yeah, it can certainly be a good starting point. Um, so, Tim Bradley, I'm going to ask you this next question, and the reason why I'm asking Tim is not only because it's so much under what he would do as a, as a staff elder, but, but also Tim and I have been working through a couple of questions that were submitted um, both several questions together and then also a couple of others um, from different people. Um, so, Tim, what, what we talked about asking you is we've received some questions related to sexual abuse in society and, and also in other places like the churches across the United States. So questions related to sexual abuse, the handling of those allegations within the church, uh, and leadership and accountability and the question stated, the author did not believe this was a problem at DSC per se, but because it's not been addressed in a Sunday setting, so from the pulpit or from a prayer or from a sermon, um, that the impression may be from either outsiders or some in the church that the elders don't think this to be an important issue to address. So can you speak about these issues and briefly address them in, a, in, in broad categories, but maybe also how members we can we can think as you guys are thinking and speaking along these lines. Yeah, to, so to answer one of your embedded questions, no, I cannot do this briefly. Okay. <laughs> so if I go on too long, Ryan will just tap me and tell me to cut it off. <laughs> Already. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. So our hearts are broken as elders, even as Christians, as I'm sure your hearts are, for the devastating effects of sin, the way that sin affects individuals and families, uh, it, it is tremendously hard to, to think about some aspects of sin and how it hurts image bearers of God. Sexual abuse is a profound form of suffering that many experience. 
And not only does it break our heart, we believe it breaks the heart of God himself. And we're thankful that we have a God who cares, who's intimately acquainted with these things, and who will deal justly with these things, either through the cross or on the ungodly. Every sin is laid bare before him. And so we're glad for that. The church should be a place that is a safe place for its members and for all who come here. And so we should strive to make it a safe place in every way, shape, and form. And it should be a place full of grace where we can attend to those who've been affected by sin, even this form of sin, sexual abuse. So we want the church to be a place of comfort and help to those who've been victimized and harmed in this way. And we want the church to be a safe place, as safe as we can possibly make it, depending on God's grace for each of these things. As it relates to leadership and allegations of misconduct or sexual abuse in the church, we would simply say, that first and foremost, we're all accountable to God. Every member of this church is accountable to God. And as leaders within this church, we're accountable not only to God, but to every member of this church. And so this is a, a shared effort. We believe every allegation should be taken seriously. And where it's appropriate, the civil authorities should be Engaged as a means of God's grace to protect those who've been harmed. So we would do that. We believe that these standards are true for every member of this congregation, including the leaders, maybe even especially the leaders who are to be an example and who are charged to be above reproach. So we would engage the civil authorities and we would do all that we can protect and to deal rightly in a way with any allegation. What's at stake here is our savior, Christ. This is his church that he purchased with blood. So we need to take these things very, very seriously. Now regarding accountability for leadership in the church, there are many mechanisms in place, policies, procedures, some formal and some that would be more organic or informal. Uh, so we do things such as elder accountability. And we have formal mechanisms and regular meetings for elder accountability. We have policies within the office for staff members. So for example, I should never be in the church building alone with a woman, not doing counseling ministry. So we have safeguards in place in a variety of ways. We have staff evaluations that Ron is our executive pastor overseas and he has a variety of tools for these. Uh, we have things that our safety team has put in place, things like cameras all over this building. So we wanna make every effort, every legitimate effort to be accountable and as leaders be accountable and to help one another, to walk circumspectly, to be above reproach. Again, Christ's name is at stake. We're grieved by any of these troubles. Again, 
We want the church to be a safe place. We don't, I think Peter already said, we don't address every issue on Sunday mornings from the pulpit. In some ways, it misses why we gather here together on Sunday mornings, to to be oriented in our worship and to hear from the Lord himself as his word is preached and to be transformed in our hearts by his grace and to, to love one another. But we don't want silence from the Sunday morning pulpit to be misinterpreted as a lack of care for these issues. Most of the men up here have children of their own, even some grandchildren. We, we deeply care about these and many other issues that we would talk about in terms of sin and social issues. And so we want to welcome and invite these conversations with you, the body. We, we are glad for your thoughts on these things. We want to understand your story. Certainly if there's any form of abuse in any way, shape, or form, that should be reported. It should be reported quickly. It should be reported to church leadership. And again, where the civil authorities need to be engaged, it should be reported in that sense. Don't take silence as a lack of care. We hold that's not what everybody is hearing here. We do care. We want to talk about these things. We want it to be a safe place. We want this to be a place where Christ is glorified and where sin is mitigated against and by his grace is, we're rescued as members of his body from. So let's do this together and let's talk about it. Please, we welcome you into those conversations with us. That's great, that's helpful. I think if you want more information on that, uh, you can certainly reach out to, to Tim, um, who deals a lot with the children's aspect, but also families. Tom Adams, our minister of students and families, uh, you could email him or set up a meeting with him to see what kind of things these men do to safeguard. And then, then within all of that also, uh, Ron Giese, our executive pastor, they'd be more than uh, eager to speak with you about how we're praying and trying to protect our, our people. Yeah, so. and then just to add to that counseling ministry and, and pastoral counseling, uh, because there are people who've been harmed by sin. So yes, we put in the safeguards, but then what do we do where... The sin exists and the trouble exists. Well, I'm going to transition to the floor for your guys' questions. So if, if, something that there, if something is there that you want to ask, I would just ask you to stand up. I know it's certainly awkward sometimes to just go ahead and stand in front of other people. But go ahead and stand up. Um, if not, I have some filler questions. I feel like a game show host. This is exciting. But we'd love for you to stand up and ask your question. If you would, just say your name uh, and then whatever your question might be, and we'll get to those. So any, any first takers? In the front or back. Okay. Uh, yeah, my question, <clears throat> my question was with the, the sermon we had last Sunday. You talked about um, Jesus was always referred to by Paul as uh, Christ Jesus, and back back in the old times, it was like King David, King Solomon where Christ was the title and Jesus was the name, and then he referred to him as Jesus Christ. And I was thinking, was, was that to try to help the Romans more understand? Because it's like Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, where the name came before the title in the Roman area, but in the old times, it was always the title before the name. Yeah. That was question one. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, I don't know. 
<laughs> hadn't thought about that. Um, Paul's writing to Greek-speaking Roman-like people even when he says Christ Jesus. So I would think it's probably more that he's emphasizing Jesus' humanity when he just so occasionally mentions Jesus Christ. But okay. and, and the other question was a little bit deeper. When, when Jesus was on the cross, um, he said, Father, Father, uh, my God, my God, why, why do you forsake me or abandon yeah. me? Yeah. At that point, did he lay down his deity just before he died? Did he turn it off? Was he, how was he separated from God the Father and God the Son at that moment when he inherited the sin and, and passed? Yeah. So a longer answer would be listen to uh, a sermon on Psalm 22 or wherever that occurs in the gospel accounts because uh, we would have unpacked that at greater length than we can here tonight. Uh, in short, tonight I just say, no, Jesus didn't um, set aside his, his deity then. Uh, there's a sense in which he was forsaken. There's a sense in which he wasn't forsaken. So when, when, when someone like Jesus quotes from Psalm 22, he doesn't just mean that one phrase. He really wants us to go look at the whole of Psalm 22, which doesn't end in forsakenness. It ends in redemption. And, of course, we know Jesus was resurrected. Um, however, there, I think there is a legitimate sense in which um, Jesus, as the wrath-bearer, um, had a separation from God um, that really we fully can't understand. So there's a sense in which we say, well, he wasn't really forsaken, and that's impossible in the, in the oneness of the Godhead among the Trinity. Uh, and there's another sense in which we say, because he was bearing sin like he was, um, there was some, some sort of mysterious separation. It's a great question. It, it's, a, it's a tough one. That's good. Thanks for your question. Others, go ahead and stand, and I'll get to you. While I'm waiting, 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 Josiah, some questions have been asked about the Christmas store. So we know that this upcoming Christmas, we won't have a Christmas store here on campus. But maybe you could tell us briefly um, about the other, the other things that we'll be doing in terms of serving the community and, and the other Christmas stores that we have going. Yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know, we had a Christmas store in the past, and we were able to share the gospel with uh, kids from two schools nearby. It, we really loved it, so much so that I actually actively sought to grow our relationship with those two schools, and it was through the communication with those, uh, those administrators that I was asked to sign something uh, that our elders didn't feel comfortable with. So... Um, you know, for now, we're not having our local Christmas store like we have in the past, but we're still looking for ways to serve uh, those schools. We've, I've uh, talked to the administrators about uh, having our ministry DSC serve, serve some of the uh, need, most needy families there. So uh, that's just an explanation for those of you who didn't know. But we do have our two Christmas stores on the Navajo Reservation, one in Cedar Hill, uh, which is uh, in New Mexico, and then another is Good News Church in Halk, Arizona. Uh, we really love those two Christmas stores. The Good News store is actually growing. Uh, we uh, are going to add a new component to the ministry where we're going to be working on uh, a grandmother's home that needs insulation while we're actually having the Christmas store. So we're seeing these things expand. We're bringing wood to them during this time. Uh, we're really excited, and we hope you can join us. Great. 
Thanks, Josiah. Other questions that you would have for these guys? Great. Thank you. Um, this is, I don't know if this is even a good question, but when we communicate with the elders, like say we wanted to have, ask a question or whatever, should we CC everybody or sh should we direct it to one specific elder and then you'll just, if it needs to be shared, you will, you know what I mean? Or is, is there a protocol? I mean, I'm just wondering. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a formal protocol, Roseanne, so uh, just as, as you feel led. Certainly, we're, we're glad for you to CC all of us and, and to see that, but if you just want to direct it to one of us uh, as needed, we'll disseminate the information or the question to the rest. Yeah. Great, thanks. Hi, I'm Roger Cook. Uh, one of our significant local outreaches is uh, doing church plants locally, and I'm just wondering if, um, you know, how do the elders, how, do you have an ongoing relationship with the church plants that we do, and do you have any role in helping them be successful after they get started? You know, just could someone give an update on that, on Christ Church? Peter, can I ask you to answer that one? Are, are you asking specifically, Roger, about the church plants we have planted, our ongoing engagement with them? Yes, the current one. Okay. Peter, could you speak to that? Yes, I'll try. Um, in the last uh, five or six years, um, DSC has planted two churches. Uh, one was Redemption Church in Rio Rancho, uh, which operated for about five years uh, and then closed. Um, we did have, during that period of time, an ongoing relationship uh, with the church, but it wasn't as strong as it uh, could or should have been for a variety of reasons we won't go in, into tonight. But uh, it may be that one of the factors why um, that church didn't continue uh, to grow and to strengthen over time was that the ties between our two churches weren't um, as strong as they could have been. When you look at Christ Church, it's exactly the other side of the coin. Uh, we have incredibly strong ties, great relationships, ongoing involvement in the closest possible way. And um, we've also got two pastors there. There's a, there's a noticeable strengthening when two pastors plant a church as opposed to one because of that, that leadership plurality and the extra resources. Um, it seems to have made a demonstrable difference in how fast they've grown and how healthy that church is. And so um, uh, two contrasting stories there and we learn something from every time and every circumstance that the church is planted. And so uh, hopefully that will serve us well in the future. Ryan, could I ask you to follow up just maybe since you're in the office day to day, some of the interactions that, that happen between DSC and Christ Church? Yeah, I can just speak personally between Nathan, the pastor of Christ Church, and myself. Uh, we probably text uh, 10 times a week, um, probably do um, half hour phone calls twice a month, um, maybe one meal uh, in a month. So it just helps that we're good friends. Um, we're buddies, and we were buddies before um, he was a preaching pastor, and now we have that in common. So he's, you know, frequently saying, hey, can I bounce something off you, or, you know, we'll do a conference together, that kind of thing. So um, I feel like we have a really good pulse on 
where Christ Church is. And, and that's um, largely owing to their um, humility and, you know, just all kinds of good things that um, they want to, you know, have us invest in them. They want to um, continue to learn from those who are just a little bit further down the road. Great question, thanks. Josh speaking. Uh, Scott, could you comment on, uh, on the uh, counseling philosophy here at Desert Springs? Mm. Counseling philosophy, well, we, um, in short, we believe that counseling is a, uh, frankly, just a, a form of discipleship. And so therefore, you know, in a, in a real sense, counseling is the, uh, the ministry of every member. Uh, we're all counselors. If someone has ever asked you for, came to you maybe with trouble or um, were, were suffering or had been hurt or asking you for advice, you were a counselor. So frankly, uh, we're all counselors and we're either competent or not. And so, you know, our, the, the heartbeat of our counseling philosophy is just to equip um, each other in our ability and our competency to minister the Word of God. We believe the Word of God is uh, sufficient and authoritative for everything that, um, for life and godliness. And so it has answers for our problems, it has answers for our troubles for our suffering, it informs and instructs, it helps us. And so, um, you know, our, our, our heartbeat is to equip, um, again, one another to, to serve one another um, and minister to one another with, with the Word of God. That's the Reader's Digest version, Josh. Thanks, Josh. One over here, Lynn. Lynn Mathis. And Paul and I were both wondering if uh, Terry Ash used to lead something, prepare something called baby dedication here in the church, and we just wondered, kind of dropped off, if that's being talked about, that it'll be continued on at some point. Pastor of babies. Yeah, so I'll, I'll speak to that. Uh, we talked about this, uh, Terry and I, and at one point we let that drop off. It's, it's not something that is prescriptive for us in the Bible. And so in some ways, uh, we wanna say, this is the responsibility of all of us being as members. We, we even talk about it in our covenant of fellowship. And, and so uh, what does dedicating the child mean? In many respects, it's dedicating the parents and the church body to do just what we commit to doing in the covenant of fellowship to teach our children, to train them, to be part of that with one another. And so we're not completely opposed to it, and yet we don't see it as something that's necessarily uh, prescriptive for us in Scripture and, and think that uh, we can continue to move forward in, in encouraging parents to do what we would state in a baby dedication and encourage the church body to, to be involved in that with one another's families and kids as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Great. Great question, thanks Lynn. Well, I'm gonna have to cut this short because we said we'd get out of here by eight. 
I don't know why I walked back up here, but I just wanted to hang out. Um, thank you guys for your questions. You can always email one of these guys. You can email info at desertspringschurch.org. Uh, you can come up to the front after a service and, and bring a concern or just a question or a burden that's on your heart for the church. Um, they are not shy in wanting to hear from you. Um, so I'm going to ask Ryan if you would pray us out, and then Drew is going to come up and lead us in the doxology. So Ryan. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks to you for these caring saints, these brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for what we share. We thank you for how faithful you've been in protecting uh, unity, in, Lord, uh, bringing um, humility. I claim none of that in myself, but, Lord, I observe it in others, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for um, the mutual care and love in this church. And, uh, Lord, we pray for more of it. We're bold to, to pray that, and yet we do. We pray for more and more of your kindness to us in our relationships with each other, um, in growth, in grace, in, um, in good worship, in thoughtful prayers. And um, Lord, we pray you'd be glorified in it all. We thank you for our time together tonight, and we thank you, Lord, for these good questions. Uh, we pray the answers have been remotely useful and uh, Lord, we pray you'd dismiss us now with your blessing. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.